Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. What's good, Nitin? What's up, man? I got to give a big shout out to to you and Kush. Very ably covering uh, the over-unders last week. I thought you guys did an awesome job. It's a bummer that I missed it because it is my favorite episode of the season to record when everything seems like, you know, all the predictions are flowing. You seem like you have a total finger on the pulse. A week into the season, it's all gone to shambles in every which way. But at least for that first night of recording, if it's like, yeah, I think I, I think I can kind of sense what's happening this season. It's actually fun not having you on the pod because we, we could read your predictions or whatever you submitted as your over-under and then just clown on you without you there to defend yourself. And, um, and, and you know, <laughs> there were a good number of picks where Kush and I were aligned, especially in the West, and you were not. So... You know, I was out of it's control. It's always fun in the to take West. shots at you. <laughs> I was out of control in the West, but I will say that you got your guys's like made up rationale was like seventy five percent accurate as to why I was picking those. Um, we know you too well, man. I mean, this is um, this classic. I, yeah, I can't remember if it was you or Kush who said it up front. They were like, uh, maybe he's shooting from the hip this year versus like the over analyzing, yeah. and that's exactly what I did. I basically went full go. First draft, and and I just essentially just counted to see that I had eight and seven in one conference and seven and eight in the other. I was like, okay, that's roughly, roughly good. Took maybe a second glance at a couple and sent them over to you. So it was, I was trying to do something different than my normal course of action. I think I've actually ended up even worse than average. So this is going to be. We never know, man. If there's if there's anything about over unders, it's that. No, we're, me and you are always wrong and Kush is always right. So at the end of the I day, know. it'll probably shake out that way anyway. Um, But I, you know, now it's good to have you back on the pod. I know you're, you're gone for a bit. I do want to open right off the bat. Let's address some of these over-unders. Now, it's it may be unfair to you because some of these games have, have started to play out and, and maybe some of these reactions you had actually make sense now in context. But I, I picked six, six that I was utterly just confused by because not just because I didn't agree with it. It had nothing to do with that. It went against your traditional narratives. I've been doing this pod with you for four years now. This is year four. <laughs> and I feel like I have a good pulse on what you like to say. And I was thrown off by these. Okay, so I'm going to start. The first one, I'll give you a softball. OKC over. This is a team that everyone predicts is going to tank. I want to hear the rationale for the over on OKC. So you look at, okay, that's a good one to start with. Um, I have one as well that I want to, I feel like I was getting some pot <laughs> shots about that I'm not sure if it's on your list of top six or not, but I will address if it's not. With OKC, I look at it like this, right? Like not everyone can be horrific as much as they want to be. Like look at freaking Utah, who's now three and zero or three and one. Yeah, I guess. Well, and you can't start using the logic of what's happened in the first couple. Of no, games. my point. Is, my point is this: SGA, if he plays any amount of time, is way better than the best player on any of these other tanking teams, right? So if he's at his peak, which by the way, like look at a game like tonight where you know Clippers without Kawhi or Paul George. He scores 33, they win. That always happens. Actually, in fact, if you look at years past, OKC has actually been decent when they've put him on the court. And when I say decent, I mean hovering somewhere below 500. They're not going to make the playoffs and make a deep run with it if they were trying to win. But they certainly would be better than, what were they, 22 and a half or something like that? Like, I think if they even give it a fighter's chance of how much they play him and play Giddy, 
they're going to beat this over. I'm not saying they're going to win 40 games, but they could win 27, 28. Um, it's just a matter of when they're going to shut him down. I don't know the answer. So I said, let me go with the fact that they always seem to do well when he's on the court relative to these other bad teams. That's a fair reaction. Um, that's why I said this is a softball. I just don't think that it seemed like, okay, see, that's all about collecting this war chest of picks. The one year that the, the biggest prize is on the table, they're not going to completely fold and, and submit to the tank at the end of the season. Like, they're not going to try to win these meaningless games. You're right. When SGA plays, when some of these guys play, they are a competitive team. I, I just don't think that that's going to hold true for the most of the year. Yeah, well, they only got their first win of the season tonight, so maybe you're right in the fact that he ha- he already has gotten a load-managed game, I think, of the first yeah. four, which is a pace that only Kawhi is somehow outstripping. But, um, yeah, I think, okay. look, I get it. But that 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 was that was my rationale, you know and it may be may be wrong, but I'm, I I like it's, where that stood a week. It's ago. only getting hotter from here. Don't worry, we're starting off. Safe. All right. All Next right. one's. I New think Orleans. some of these are going to be inexplicable. Next one's starting New with Orleans. the inex, inexplicable list is New Orleans. Let is me New let me Orleans. tell you something. Now New Orleans, yeah. New Orleans, you want under, and the reason, of course, is that baffles me is because you are a big Zion guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you got turned off by New Orleans by how much I hyped them up last uh, postseason. <laughs> yeah. I, I celebrated their first round loss. Like they won the you went and did a solo parade down there, actually. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if that swayed you at all, but tell me the rationale behind under, because this is actually a very popular overpick. So you know how you know me and you are both Bill Simmons disciples, right? Uh, for better or worse. You know how this year he was just like, idiotically on Carolina forever as like the the surprise yeah. playoff team. And even though they're horrible, have already fired their coach, benched their quarterback, and traded their running back, he has somehow fa- managed to find a way to be like, oh, yeah, I was right about the theory of a surprise team, but I just picked the wrong one. It's picked not a big deal. One. I just completely got the team wrong. Yeah, that's not part of the big part of the equation. And he was like, it's actually the Giants, and maybe it's the Falcons. To me, and I'm already telling you, and I hate what I see right now from Minnesota – Minnesota was my team that I thought was going to be insane. Um, it has not looked good thus far, and that is really New Orleans' spot. And I completely whiffed on this. It's so funny. Like, I somehow didn't contextualize to your point. I'm a huge Zion fan. I'm not a big Gobert fan. In my mind, I was somehow weighing the Zion uh, ad back, uh, you know, in terms of the fact that he's basically a free agent to this roster that they signed, right? He didn't play all of last year as less worthy than the Gobert trade. And that is foolish. I don't know what to say. The Pelicans look awesome. Um, and not only is he good, I mean, they won tonight without him or Ingram against Luka Mavs. So, like, yeah, mea culpa on New Orleans. I, I don't think – I'm about as upset about that pick as maybe any other that I've made. I have no defense. Now, we, you know, the overreactions are already flowing. It's funny because a lot of talk has happened with Minnesota being 2-2. They lost. They got blown up by the Spurs. They they haven't looked. You know, Ant hasn't had a great start to the season. But they're two and two. I don't know why there's the sky is falling kind of attitude about Minnesota right now. And and similarly, that's because the- their schedule has been really soft. So they lost to Utah. They lost to I think San Antonio. San Antonio, San Antonio like, like absolutely 30. destroyed them yeah. yesterday. Yeah. So it's like, dude, like I understand it's early and maybe this won't matter. But what's wrong with you guys and the biggest concern, if I'm going to say this right now, is Ant does not look like 
he took what he did in the playoffs and took it up a level. Like, I know Jason Tatum is older, but Jason Tatum coming off of pretty disappointing finals looks like a man possessed this season. I thought Ant would play with more of that urgency. I'm not saying he needs to produce like Tatum at this stage of his career, but I'm just saying like, I need to see a little bit more than I'm seeing from him. It's very worrisome right now. I think he's a victim of his own hype at this point because, yeah. look, Hustle came out. He was uh, applauded for his acting skills. Everyone said he was going to be the next big thing. Like, this next year, he was going to take a huge leap forward. And, look, it's growing pains. He's a young guy. Uh, and then, I don't know if you saw Kat's quote from last night about, he's like, Ant needs to stop eating Popeyes. I saw that. And it's like, he this is such a, like, this is, like, out of a... There's like a quote page of anything you could say about any young player who's not totally committed, right? And they all do the same shit. It's like, oh, yeah, first three years in the league, I was eating terribly. I was doing whatever. It's like nobody – I guess it's like us, right? It's not like you don't go and make the same dumb mistakes in college that your predecessors may have made. It's like everyone's got to go through this. And I kind of thought we'd be over it by year three. Like I expect him to be an all-star. And if he's not, I think it's a disappointment. Okay. All right, well, well, that was New Orleans. I'm now on to number three. Yeah, your Washington Wizards. Now, you went under, and it's understandable. But you have always, every year, some irrational level of hype. You had that last year. You hit the over. I hit the over. We were both burned by that. Big time. I want to hear the logic behind the under this year when they've put together a roster that's competitive. KP yeah. is healthy. So what was the rationale behind under? If I'm being 100% honest, I think the Beal contract broke me. Like, it actually broke my spirit. Um, for three years, I've been saying that we're going nowhere. We have this, like, prime asset. In his prime, he's scoring 30 a game, and we're winning barely above that number of wins, right, per season. It's like, this is the chance. Like, isn't this why teams get stuck? when they try to foolishly like believe in some concept that doesn't exist. I actually think the roster is pretty decent. I just thought that the depth in the East was so massive that they don't get free wins anymore. You know, that being said, they're three and one this season. They've beaten Indiana and Detroit, two teams that allegedly would be in that free win category. And they have been able to handle business, but I still, I mean, dude, speaking of week one overreactions, if we, if we forget, the Wizards started 10 and 3 last year and looked awesome. And I was like ready to go. <laughs> I forgot go. about that actually. Yeah. Um, and so we have to get that 10 and 3, 13 games. That's like two and a half, three weeks of basketball. We're into one week of basketball. So we have another like little bit to go before things really normalize. So I'm not totally concerned about the under yet. I just don't like their collection of top end talent related to the rest of the East. And I don't necessarily like, I think Porzingis is good, but I don't know that I can get. 60 games from him or 50 games from him. We don't know. I think Kuzma's in a role he's not necessarily like qualified for on a good team. Like I think he can be productive on a team that's 500, but or less maybe. Um, I'm just not a fan. I'm not a fan of the coach. But that being said, I have been pleasantly surprised with the way they've played. Um, but we'll caution you to last year's record. You also saw them, what, courtside uh, in the preseason? I didn't see them, man. I saw my my Chicago Bulls. Oh, I forgot your other your other team, the Bulls. Yeah, actually, they're the other team to the Clippers, who are my first team. Your first team. Oh, we'll get to them. Don't worry, we will get to the Clippers. Okay, 
So Wizards, fine. You went under. I get it. You're, you know, the funny thing is the reason I went over is because the Wizards, to me, are so much like the Kings in that in a season where they could easily be tanking, they're going to be irrationally gunning for a playing spot. And they've got too much talent to really fall down into the dregs of the East. So that they was are, but going over. dude, I couldn't figure out how to get them above 10th in the East. Like, I just think there's nine teams definitively better. And that doesn't even account a team like the Knicks who probably think they're better. So that is what really scared me when it turned out, when it came to like, okay, how am I going to say that they what was it 34? So they don't have to be higher than 10th to win 34, but, um, or 30, 35 and a half was their over under, right? No, wasn't it 37 and a half? Oh, even better. That. You're making my case for me right now. <laughs> I need to pull up my list again. They were, no, 35 and a half. Never mind. Yeah. So Kings were 33 and a half. Oh, yeah. Which, Which... <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, all right. So Wizards under, okay, I got three more. Brooklyn. Oh now, the God. reason I bring up Brooklyn, you went over because when we last talked, uh, we talked about all the possibilities of things going wrong. It seemed like you're a little bit more down on Brooklyn, but you ended up going over. And I want to know what the logic was there. So they were 51 and a half, I believe, right? They basically won 55 game pace when Durant played and they got Kyrie for 27 total games last year. And they had the Harden dumpster fire. Then they had Simmons not play at all. I felt comfortable assuming some version of health, which you can't assume, especially from those dudes, which, uh, you know, you can't assume a single thing from those guys. Much like you don't even assume that their phones are on or that they even (laughs) have cell phones or that they even know what what days the games are like nothing. So that may be dumb. I want to ask you something about them or about this team. Did you think Ben Simmons would look this completely just like he's cooked? No. He's 26 years old. He looks done. He does look done. I mean, I don't understand why because he's finally healthy, right? supposedly, physically healthy, mentally in a much better place. That's all we've been hearing. There's no reason not to expect him. And he's playing on a team where, you know, Philly is one thing, where he became the de facto number two, and that was not the right role for him. He's playing a role that is suited to his style. He he just has to be Bruce Brown. Like, think about what Bruce Brown was giving Brooklyn. He's not even giving the offensive output of a Bruce Brown. And I am actually shocked by how just <laughs> how bad he's been. Uh, defensively, he's shown flashes. Yeah. But I'm, yeah, I don't know what's going on. And, you know, one of the things in Philadelphia that, to his credit, that he was amazing at was creating threes, right? I mean, he pretty much led the league or was at the top three or four yeah. every year that he played full seasons of threes created. So there's this big debate of like, oh, well, at least I don't, I don't know I don't shoot, but at least I create the three. So what does it matter how they come? He's getting in their way right now offensively. Like he's not doing any of that creation. Like, yeah, he might have four or five assists. He's fouled out of like two of their four games already. I mean, it's just it feels like he's totally forgotten how to play basketball. 
even if you turn into the exact same version of the Philly player, the guy who hadn't gotten better since his rookie year, the guy who, you know, was afraid to shoot at times, that would be fine for what they need. That was like, an all NBA player. <laughs> yeah. That was a 16, eight and eight. Great, great defense, shot creation, fast break, playing with some level of confidence and athleticism. He looks like he's like, dude, I remember I was watching, I was so excited for, for night one. I was watching uh Pelicans nets, right? Because I was like, yep. okay, Zion's back. Like, you know, this new Nets team, can't wait to see it. Very first possession of the game, they give Simmons the ball in the, like, mid-block. And he just stands there with it, like, surveying the court for, like, eight seconds. Literally has no moves, can't get around anybody, can't even, like, dribble. Passes it to Durant. They got Claxton, Durant, and Simmons all in, like, a five-foot area, immediate turnover. And I was like, man, like, they're in trouble because... Durant, like last night, for example, Durant was 13 of 16 at one point with like 35 points against Memphis, and they were getting killed. If you can't win those games, I know Memphis is a good team. Like if you can't win those games, like good luck. But Brooklyn is just, it's not work the way I thought, and Simmons is like 10x worse than I was expecting him to be. That's all I could say about that one. And he's been a net negative for them on, them on the court. So he's not, you know, before you could justify the poor offensive output with the defense, it'd show up in the advanced stats and show up in all those metrics. He's not having that impact. <laughs> He's a net minus in these games. I I don't know what to do, man. And it's Steve Nash. Steve Nash he talked about him being more aggressive, but it's, it's not happening. If it hasn't happened yet, it's never happening. Uh. Does Steve Nash have any idea how to run an offense or to coach players? Like, I haven't seen it. No, I still haven't seen it. Like I, I actually thought maybe this season would be a little bit different. He's got the healthy roster. He's got some more playmakers. It's a little bit deeper. No, nothing has changed. And defensively, I, they're a train wreck. They're undersized. It's none of it. They need to. They need to play a couple dregs of each conference to get that confidence up, you know, and get some like continuity. I think because they're the Nets, they're in a lot of these marquee matchups and things of that nature. And so it naturally makes it tough, especially start of the season. They got to figure who the hell they are before they start like lining up with the best of the league because they're going to get smoked by any team that has any level of continuity. And, and this which is not a Memphis team that has they, maybe more than anyone. Yeah, and this is a team that they go down early or they're having a mediocre season. Do you have faith that they'll turn it around? That they've got the leadership, they've got the kind of just no. confidence to, I, to turn this thing. I thought you were going to say another thing, which I agreed with, which is if they go down early in a game, they have no chance because their defense sucks. Oh, that too. And so they just get run off the court. You should listen to Barkley on Simmons pod uh, just came out today. I was listening to it. It's really fascinating how much he talks about Durant and the lack of leadership and the difference between being the best player and the leader and how you can't really be one without the other. Durant is always pushed away from the notion that he has to be a leader or anything else like that. Yet it's never worked for him basketball wise, unless he had Steph Curry, who is the consummate leader. And you look at it, it's like, Durant, you are such a moron. If you think this situation doesn't require you to like grab it by the throat and figure it out. Like, it's not just about playing beautiful basketball. Like you just put a bunch of skill sets together. That's not how human nature works. And it's incredibly frustrating. And I think it's a big black mark on his career that he's never been able to do that. And I thought Barkley did a really good job articulating the pressure 
you know, rightfully so on the star player to not just perform great, but to be almost like the off-court shrink for everyone. And he's never, ever played that role anywhere. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's always been a problem of leadership. And that's the biggest thing I always called up the difference between him and LeBron. Yeah, they both went to super teams, you could say. But one was willing to take a leadership role and one wasn't. And that's been his problem from the beginning. And yeah. it's not going to change. Dude. I think at this point, like Kevin Durant is who he is. And unless he's on another stacked team like that, I don't know if he can ever win a title again. Um, given well, his age, why do you think? The- why do you think he wanted to go to Phoenix so bad? They got two yeah. guys who are probably bigger, better leaders than he is in Paul and Booker. This guy has not changed. You'd think he'd learn from Golden State. He didn't like the way his rep was kind of attacked after that whole saga, and yet he doesn't want to change. So it is what it is, man. It's just, I know you're a big Durant guy. It, it is disappointing because he's still an amazing fading. player. He's still an amazing it's, player. It's fading faster than I'd like it to. It's really kind of upsetting. Um. All right, so we talked a little bit about Brooklyn. Now the other really confusing over under can i guess about the los angeles okay like i was gonna say Lakers. i already gave it up the Lakers. i know i know you're gonna say it this was a pure mental zag i was like this on the lakers and i just i just want to hear the justification dude everyone clowns westbrook rightfully so but how many games did anthony davis play last year like under 30 right or 30 right around there how many games did lebron play just around 50, right? And so you have a situation where they play 80 out of a possible 160 games. And I'm like, what if we bump that up to 120 games total of the two players? Could we not go from the 33 wins they had to 46? Can they not go, you know, 13 more wins with those two dudes who I still believe are top 20 players in the league? Like LeBron is a top 10 player. Now we can talk about if Davis is top 20 or not. I mean, I probably still have him there. but I, I he, think he is. He looks like he hates basketball now, so I don't, I can't quite pinpoint exactly what's going on. Like he'll have the most sorrowful twenty-eight and ten you'll ever see in your whole life. Um, but at the end of the day, I was just like, okay, they have two top twenty guys. How many teams in the league can actually say that? And this is going to sound moronic, given just how anemic their shooting is and just how terrible that roster is. But I looked at last year with the freaking Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard you know, Trevor Ariza, Wayne Ellington crew. And I was like, I mean, their supporting cast is technically better than it was last year, right? Like, I I mean, I was like, okay, I don't expect them to be too far above this, but I think Kush made the point that it's like, I really think it's going to be close. I thought this was a 44, 45 win team, whatever. Maybe they get one or two there at the end if it's a playoff push. I don't know, dude. They look so bad, like so bad. They they do look bad. In their defense, in their defense, they lost to the Clippers by six. Yep. They lost to the Blazers by two. Both of those teams are looking really good. Right. They did get kind of boat raced a little bit by the Warriors, but that's opening night. The Warriors yep. defending their ring. They had a lot to, yep. to prove with the whole Draymond controversy. So you're right. It's... They have looked bad, but at the same time, they've played really good competition. Defensively, they've been really good, but as everyone knows, the shooting has been just catastrophic in terms of (laughs) from three-point. Like, they can't score from outside. This team is literally incapable of scoring from outside. 
LeBron has taken like logo threes with like 15 seconds left on the shot clock as their best form of offense. But yeah, I mean, this comes back to the point I was just making about the Nets. Like Lakers have had a lot of primetime games already, right? And so this is going to be something that probably normalizes a little bit, one would think. Um, You know what's amazing to me, though? And I don't think we ever saw this version of LeBron until last year. The ability to put up completely empty stats and it's kind of scary because he's never been that guy he's like if you look at any type of advanced metric if you look at any type of like on off or win shares or whatever his stats his his basic counting stats are as good as his advanced stats and they're all like elite right first in the league second league every year last year was the first time he had some pretty bad advanced stats and it feels Mm -hmm. like it's carrying forward this year as he puts up a 31, eight and eight. And I just, it's a weird thing to see someone so old or so tenured, I should say, put up this ridiculous production and then also have it not matter. It's just this odd kind of combination of things swirling around in my brain when I watch him. Yeah. I actually think last year was much worse. I think he's showing a little bit more effort this year. Granted it's early in the season and you know, in the middle of the season, that's going to tail off. He's still top. He's what? uh, Top 10 in VORP or 12th, top 10 in BPM, box plus minus. He's he's up there. He's not catastrophically bad. But I do know what you mean. When you watch these games, it is it is a little bit empty. It's empty calories. And you know what his, his eyes are already set on one goal and one goal only, and that's obviously surpassing career. Yep. So we already know that going into the season. And you know LeBron, as much as I love him, 30 games in if they're still not good, He's going to check out even more on defense, um, you know, taking a lot more hero ball shots. So, yeah, it's kind of sad that it's come down to this. But at the same time, I don't know what else he can do with this roster. Partially his fault for bringing Westbrook. But Rob Palenka's mismanaged it to a point where no one is happy on that team. <laughs> and no one sees, I don't know, any path forward. Well, everyone keeps talking about the Lakers picks, the 27 and 29. Let's go get Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, or let's go get Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley, or whoever you want to put in those trades, Doug McDermott. That's not helping them do anything. Like, why would they mortgage that future for guys who don't really incrementally provide any additional chance to win the title? Or do you think that they do? No. I I mean, I actually believed it more a year ago. Um, But no, Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, I I think with the amount of league talent there's in the league today, these guys are nothing special. Yeah, you're talking about top 70 players. Miles Turner is so tantalizing as an idea. Yeah. Um, But there's a reason he's been on the trade block. There's a reason Indiana has kind of just stagnated with him. Uh, and Buddy Heald, I've learned from watching so many years of Kings basketball, the 40% three-point shooting looks nice. Watching him dribble and do literally anything else on the basketball court is a nightmare. And the Lakers have the same problem with Malik Monk. So Malik Monk is on the Kings right now. We're seeing the same thing. He's very much a Buddy 2.0. Poor ball handling, poor IQ. And they had that last year on LA. And Malik Monk, guess what? Gave them 20 a game, but was not moving the needle. And and I'm... Yep convinced Buddy Heald will give them the same kind of output. Yes, he helps your shooting. Is he moving the needle? No. And Miles Turner, same thing. So 
I agree. Like, I don't. It doesn't make sense to give up those two picks. But at the same time, if you're LA, what is the alternative? You have to shake something up. Uh, yeah, maybe there's a world in which they can trade one pick or something like that and get a, a, a guy that's seventy five percent of Buddy Hield or eighty percent of Buddy Hield. That's still like to me. I just think, especially with max cap space coming next year. And nothing, I think, out on the market that Westbrook and two first can bring back that's going to help you turn into a championship contender. I feel like you're better off waiting, signing a Kyrie, signing a Chris Middleton or whoever's there next summer, and then trying to run one last time with, with LeBron. The other thing that I really think that you should consider is like they could weigh what AD can bring back. And... I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what they would be looking for, but like that's the one that I think has the most legs if they want to really try to rebuild on the fly around LeBron. Cause he is a, like I said, a great player, very productive, but in no way does he resemble the guy that was essentially the second best player in the world in the bubble. Yeah. And trading AD, I don't know what they'll get for him because you want to get guys who can contribute now. You want either a star in return or multiple starter-level players. I don't see any team that's willing to give that up for AD. I, the problem is so many teams have players on their roster already who they're invested in, who are talented, or they're the Utahs and San Antonios of the world who would rather tank, and they don't need to take back a guy like AD. So... I don't. I just don't see the team. I don't see the path. I, I literally don't know what they're gonna do. Um, and you're right. Maybe it is gearing up for next season. Just go for the Kyrie. Go for a free agent, and then um, punt this year. And the only problem is punting this year doesn't really help you because you give up your pick. So right. Yeah. No, they can't punt. They just may not want to mortgage the future. They got to try to win. Yep. If and they Polika's, give up another, and, and like, look, is secure. He got his extension. What does he care? He, yeah, he, well, he probably doesn't because the team is kind of broke. And so they're not going to be trying to pay multiple GMs at once. And for better or worse, he did bring them a title. So I don't know how, but I guess that didn't help Frank Vogel. So yeah. we'll see. All right. What, what do you got next? The last one. This is my last one. And this is the Los Angeles Clippers. Now you went under. Feel great about this. This, this is the one I was the most confused by because number one, you love Kawhi. Yes. You have been slurping Kawhi since God knows when. And number two, your favorite player of all time, John Wall, is on this team. And you were excited. You were hyped to see him finally back in action on a good team, playing basketball the way he loves. And yet you went under on this roster, which to me is another very popular overpick. So tell me what your reasoning was. I feel great about this because, first wow. of all, they're holding my boy back, right? They're not starting him. He's clearly better than Reggie Jackson, even after a year layoff. I mean, anybody with brains who has watched the preseason and watched the first four games knew that this guy was going to be better than Reggie Jackson. Now, is he always the best team point guard with you have all these other players? Maybe not. So that's probably why they wanted to run him in the second unit. But secondly, we got to talk about this. This Kawhi load management is Beyond egregious. The guy has missed a whole season, an extra six months. He hasn't played in 18 months. He has all the time in the world to fully strengthen his leg. He's still going to sit out back-to-backs. 
He's not playing. He didn't play tonight, or he's not playing again because he has knee tightness, whatever the hell that means. They're going to load manage the shit out of Paul George, too. He didn't play tonight. So of those three guys who I would probably say are their three best players, you can argue if it's Wall or Norm Powell or whoever, but let's just say it's Wall. They're all going to be load managed. And this is a situation where I think if the Clippers are healthy, I still like them as titles winners. Like we didn't get a chance because I missed last week. We didn't get a chance to do like our final awards and season predictions and all that. But Clippers are my title team over the Bucks. I'll give that. I'll give that to you right now. But they clearly have no interest in being anything other than healthy come playoff time. I agree that's important, but they take it to a level that's very unfun. And I've actually soured on Kawhi big time because of just how difficult he is to manage, to to have on your team. All the good that he does is is totally like valuable and relevant and matters more than anything else. But like it would piss me off so much cheering for this team truly or like shit owning or coaching the team because you just never know what you're getting. And that's going to happen every single night, guaranteed. Let's not forget you were comparing him to Jordan two years ago and I was telling you to pump the brakes. That this is who this that guy 2019 is. run was Jordan esque, and so was the 2021 run before he tore his ACL. But this is this is what you get with Kawhi. This is what you get, and this is his mo, and he's not going to change. And that's why you get an under on the Clippers. I I get it, but this team is also so talented that and, and knows how to win. They've it's not a case of Kawhi's missing time when they've been used to him. Who playing. knows how to win? They haven't done shit with this roster. No, last year they how many went games did they win last year? 40. They won forty games. They didn't even make the playoffs. The year yeah, before, but, a lot of these guys went to the conference finals. The year Kawhi got hurt, but Paul George didn't even play half a season last year. Yeah, Kawhi missed he everything. Games. Like, there's a big difference, and and the reason I went over is because I talked about this. This is an all in year for at some point. Steve Ballmer is going to be banging his head banging his hand on the locker room like, what are you guys doing? I paid for this roster. I invested all this. Something has to change at some point. And this is the year that Kawhi is finally healthy. Paul George is healthy. They've got a deep roster. They're going to make a run. So, and, and they, they've shown this over-under is similar to the number that they posted, I think, in the 2019-2020 season. Mm-hmm. So they've done this before. It's not a, you know an astronomically high number. But you're right. It does rely on Kawhi playing. And what's um, it? 52 and a half, right? Yeah. So 52 and 30 gets them the four seed, probably, right? Or the five yeah. seed, maybe, in this competitive mm-hmm. West. I think they're perfectly happy with that. Now, is that the right call? Should they go for the one seed? Should they play those guys if they're healthy? Sure. But we know from everything they've done for the last three years, that's not how they operate. That's not how Kawhi operates. And John Wall, who... They're probably relying on a little too much, frankly, <laughs> as much as I've enjoyed seeing him, is also a guy who's injury prone. They're gonna they're gonna, you know, manage with kid gloves. So that's that's why that I, I actually feel good about that. I'm surprised you guys didn't take that more into account when you went over. Yeah. It's it's not an obvious one. I just I can't believe you used to be the biggest Kawhi guy. And you know, you're finally going against him. And John Wall. I, that surprised it to me. No, that is the Ty Lue is going against John Wall, not me. <laughs> if he started and played 32 minutes a game like he should, this would be over all day. He's averaging 16 in 23 minutes. I mean, two games, but. Oh, he's yeah. jacking shots. <laughs> he had, I think, 12 tonight, um, but they got smoked. So, 
Oh, I didn't even see they played tonight. Okay. Oh, to OKC. Yeah, yeah. There you without, go. You're over. <laughs> it's all kind of coalescing around what I said. The Lakers won, though. I'll never recover from. The, the, yeah. the only one, other one I was going to bring up that I felt like you guys disrespected your boy, actually, is the hate that I went over on the Pacers. I'm not saying the Pacers are going to be world beaters, but dude, like you guys just glossed over how much decent talent they have at this point, like Detroit and Orlando and all this stuff. Yeah, they have good players, but is any are any of those players currently better than Tyrese Halliburton? You know, maybe Franz Wagner, maybe Paolo, but like Cade's not. Cade's not there yet. When did and- Tyrese Halliburton turn into this all NBA type guy? I don't understand this. The moment the Kings traded him, Tyrese Halliburton gets talked about like he is the freaking next Jordan. Like I don't understand why. Dude, this with this level of about. use, with this level of usage, he's putting up like pretty decent numbers. And they're one in three. His numbers are. He leads the league in assists. His numbers are great, but like in a vacuum, fine. Yeah, he's twenty four and ten. He's shooting fifty two, forty four, ninety five from the field. All he needed was a chance to get out of, you know, Chris Showboat. Uh, sorry, uh, De'Aaron Showboat Fox's. I just saw Chris Paul on the screen. De'Aaron Showboat Fox's hands, and then suddenly he's going to take off. And then secondly, again, we didn't do our awards predictions, but my long shot prediction for Rookie of the Year was going to be Ben Matherin. He's been an absolute stud. I told you pre-draft how excited I was about him. You liked him too, being a Pac-12 I, yeah, guy. Yeah, I loved him. I'm a Pac-12 guy. So he then, so then you have those dudes. You have Chris Duarte, who's a professional player. You have, for now, you have Heald and Turner before they potentially move them. And ultimately, like, I'm just looking at them versus Detroit versus Orlando. Or what other teams did you go over on in that region? I mean, I know we all were deep under No, I went under in Detroit. I went lock under in Detroit. So did I. I went over on Orlando, who, which is looking bad. They're 0-4. Um, <laughs> no, it's looking the, great for them. The Paolo, we, Franz, and Victor? Are you kidding me? Some of these teams, they've accumulated a bunch of picks. They've spent it high draft picks. You know, Orlando on Franz, Paolo now. There's less incentive for them to outright tank and they, just to play hard all the young guys. Indiana's in a complete rebuild. I could see them shutting down Halliburton, trading Heald, Fire Sale, trading Turner. So then what, Duarte... And Ben Matherin are going to carry you to what twenty five wins? I don't see that. So, and they're one and three right now. So it's not like they're on a. Let crazy me ask you pace. something. The Pacers over under was what twenty five and a half, right? Less. It was like twenty one and a half, I think. <laughs> so, dude, if they go twenty three and fifty nine, no one's going to be like, "Damn, what no, no, are twenty three and a half? It was in between. Okay, and half. fine. If they go twenty four and fifty eight, no one's going to be like, "Oh my god!" Like, let's high five over how amazing the twenty twenty two twenty three season was for the Pacers. Like, twenty four and fifty eight is a still terrible record. Like, all these teams can't go under. So you're going to pick which one? So but, I picked but, Oklahoma City, and I picked um, Houston, and I picked um, Indiana. I picked so Orlando, I and I picked Houston. Yeah, and I feel like you're definitely underrating your boy Tyrese because you're trying to rewrite history and make Sabonis look better than he is. I'm not trying to rewrite history. I just I don't understand why Tyrese is it's like a, all of a sudden the savior. Well, the fact that I just read you his numbers, granted, very small. Oh my god, size, dude! If you play like this, is a crap team. What did Devin but, Booker put up on Phoenix? Okay, oh, Devin Booker's not a good example. He ended up not that kind year. of efficiency. Yeah, he ended up being first team All NBA. Not that kind of efficiency. He's 50, Tyrese 40, was 90, efficient you know. on the kid too. It's not like you know. I mean, yeah, he's career 48, 41, 85. That's elite. 
I mean, do you see what De'Aaron Fox? Do you want me to talk about what De'Aaron Fox is doing this year? Um, Show me his turnover numbers. That's what I really want to talk about. That, that's high usage. LeBron has high turnovers. Chris Paul has high turnovers. What? Or no. not Chris Paul, but high usage, he, high turnovers. He, he's the exception. All right, so that was the last one. Let's move into this phase. We're going to go over reactions that we already haven't laid out because we've already put a ton out into the universe here on this pod. But let's talk about your over-unders for a oh, second. D- by the way, Darren Fox is shooting 45%. If we're going to use this season stats, he's shooting 45% from three. So Okay, but... Halliburton is at least proven that he's a 40 plus percent shooter in the past. Fair. And therefore Fair. that Fair. is more, you know, 45 might not be sustainable, but 42 could be. Um, no. But anyway, yeah, we got to talk Matherin. Matherin's insane. Uh, but nonetheless, what about uh, your biggest, I guess of the teams you went over on the one you're like, I'm such an idiot. And then the teams you went under on, you're like, I'm such an idiot. So that's that's the start of our next segment of overreactions here. So I've been getting a lot of heat. I'd like to hear your perspectives. So one of the teams I went over on, well, I'm not going to say the Sacramento Kings yet because we've had a brutal schedule. They're 0-3. Um, I think Orlando. Yeah. Uh, Orlando is bad. They are... Still the same team they were the past couple years. Paolo looks good, but they're just not good enough to compete on a nightly basis. Um, Their losses have been to... I have to pull up their their schedule, but they haven't had an insanely tough schedule. Uh, And so that was my one bet. Like you said, I agree. There's going to be one team that goes over in the bottom four. I bet on the wrong one. And I think Orlando is going to be really bad this year, and I think that'll hold. So I think that one I'm massively wrong on. How about you? Or did you already cover it in our section earlier? So the team I went over, I would say the Lakers, as as outlined. Um, if I wanted to give you a second one that we hadn't talked about, I think you're going to hate this, but I think it's – is it Sacramento? I don't know. They look like they can't guard a, a traffic cone. So I, I okay, if I'm back off of that because their schedule, maybe Houston. Maybe I was a little too eager on Houston's over. Oh but no, again, I mean Houston. Houston has actually looked pretty solid, if you ask me. They're one, one of my predictions. One of my huh? predictions was going to be preseason that Jalen Green's going to average 25 points a game this year, and I wish I put that on the record before the season started. And how much is he averaging right now? Uh, let's see. 24. Yeah. Okay, what about the other side? A team you went under on that you're like, I have mine. I mean, I'm not going to overreact to San Antonio and Utah. I'm just not. Um, yeah, they'll fade. They'll fade. They'll trade their players, cut them, or they'll it, fade. It has to be Portland. It has to be. Um, yep. Yep. And it, but this is one that I think everyone takes an L on. And I underestimated just how much good wing depth matters. Yeah. Um, and they've got that finally. Uh, guys who can switch, who can play a little offense, defense, and they don't have a lot of top end talent like they used to. But that's good enough. Um, and Dame, he had a horrific game one against the Kings and they pulled that game off. They were down 10 in the third quarter and they still pulled it off, uh, on top of other impressive wins. I mean, they beat the Lakers, which 
We can argue it's not that impressive. I don't know who that says more about, but yes, they did. But they the also beat um, Phoenix. Nuggets. Who, you know, the Nuggets. And then Phoenix, who was stomping on Golden State tonight. Yeah. So I, I have to say, I did not see it coming. And they're defensively. Chauncey Billups, man, like, I don't understand. There was the talk in the preseason, right? How Chauncey Billups, he had this quote, um, how he said, I don't believe in like, like calling plays or something like that. He's like, I just let my guys go hoop and let them use their instincts. Yep. They were horrific in the preseason. Dame looked like he lost a step. The rest of that roster did not look good. And everyone, and I thought, you know, Chauncey Billups may be in over his head, but he's doing something right because this is the first time this team has been locked in defensively. Yeah. And Terry Stotts, they never had that. I mean, granted, the personnel might be better, but um, that's been the difference. This isn't the run and gun Blazers like before. They play good defense, and then they've got enough scoring to to compensate. Mine is exactly the Blazers. You you may not remember this, but last year when we were doing our predictions, I picked Chauncey Billups to be coach of the year, and I was oh. really high on Portland. And this year, instead of sticking with my conviction, I immediately went 180, jumped off the ship, and said Portland was going to be terrible. <laughs> um, and to your point... They have Josh Hart. They have Anthony Simons. They have even Justice Winslow is getting run and playing decent. They have, you know, uh, Nurkic, who's back and healthy. And then this kid, Shaden Sharp, I, he was yeah. really bad. Uh, and everyone's like, this kid has never played. He's entitled. He didn't play at Kentucky. He literally went there and sat out like all the red flags in the world. The only film anyone had on him was like those Canadian, grainy Canadian tapes from God knows where. He looks legit. You know, in spot duty, he's a 18, 19 year old rookie, so he's going to be, you know, have his moments. But I think Portland, they're the real deal. Um, and what that means as far as this West, I don't know. But Dame, to me, the biggest thing is Dame could be back. And I think I just didn't expect that. I thought we, we both clowned him in the Olympics, and he really sucked last year before being out with injury. Like you said, in the preseason, he wasn't good. I mean, when you dropped 41, I think it was on a, on a Phoenix, it's like, damn, this is like back to being like a top 10, top 12 guy in the league. Yeah, it's, you know, maybe you're just one year early on the Chauncey Billups hype. Um, they're good, but man. Not when and, I, not and when and I bailed. Is, and this is another one of those teams where they've every incentive to win, every incentive to, to reward Dame for all that loyalty that he loves to talk about. So it's maybe yeah. that's what happened. We clouded our mind with our frustration for his damn mentions of loyalty that we didn't remember that he was like a great player on a great team <laughs> or on a good team. I, should I, say. I didn't want to remember that. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Speaking of point guards, I'm going to give you my big uh, overreaction from a team we haven't talked about. You ready for this? I'm ready. John Morant is winning the MVP this year. Wow. I went that, under on Memphis. I thought they overachieved eight games under than what they would have what they won last year. No triple J for the first couple months. He is a man possessed. I'm getting all the makings of 2011 Derrick Rose. John Moran is going to win the MVP. He's already maybe one of the ten most famous players in the league, um, despite this only being year four for him. And the other thing being, a lot of guys think Embiid has the narrative. I actually see that. Um, Ja has a big narrative here as a small market guy, 
as the next coming of D Rose and as a team that amidst all of these like multiple teams, multiple star teams in the West, he's a one man band who could leave Memphis again to mid fifties wins and a top three seed. That's bold. But at the same time, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's leading the league in scoring. He has impressed me with how he's upped his game to another level even this year. Um, mm-hmm. His last game against Brooklyn was insane. He's doing it on a nightly basis. I think it's hard to see point guards win MVP just because, I mean, we saw Steve Nash do it. But since Steve Nash, it, it, it's really hard for a point guard to win MVP, no matter how good you are, like Chris Paul, no matter what kind of studying presence you are, I think the difference. Hold on a second. Though, Hold on a second. Rose won it in eleven. Two thousand eleven. I'm talking. Yeah. Yeah. Listen. Listen. Westbrook won it in 16, 17. Harden, Harden. who who is a point uh, guard, and Steph won it in fourteen and fifteen. So I should I should correct that. I I don't think of any of those guys as traditional point guards, except Westbrook. Maybe Harden and Steph are more. Is, like two guards to me in that they Fine. the volume of shooting. So I, I, I guess the question is, I agree with you that it's hard to build a championship team around a point guard, but in today's day and age where it's almost like the running quarterback uh, trend in the NFL, where it's like the stats that these guys accumulate, like they're talking Jalen Hurts as a freaking MVP candidate. Jalen Hurts is not one of the five best quarterbacks or the 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL, in my opinion, Right. But because they're involved in so many parts of the game, they're going to accumulate numbers that are going to look like incredible at season's end as long as their team is good. Ja is not like Hurts in that Ja is a top 15 player in the league and is kind of at that stature. And because the ball's in his hands all the time, he can score 35 and get 10 assists a game, kind of like Harden was doing with those Houston teams. I think his numbers are going to be so wild that it won't be that crazy to be like, yeah, he deserves it. No, I, so I'm actually in agreement with you. I think Jaws legit chance. If you ask me, if you told me that before the season, I'd say you're absolutely crazy. I thought his numbers would come down a little bit. He's not going to have the same kind of impact, but that's been opposite of the truth. So that, that's that's a good pick. I mean, if anything, we know Embiid is struggling. Jokic won't win it again. There is some Giannis fatigue. So why not Jaw? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. What do you got for me? Biggest overreaction thus far. Biggest overreaction. Uh, and I'm ready to come with the next one. Just I have been off for two and a half weeks just chomping at the bit here. <laughs> All right. I've got a couple. Why don't you go, and then I'll give you my next one. All right. So the first game... On Christmas Day this year, right, is going to be Sixers at Knicks. That's the first one of the five. Doc Rivers will not be the Sixers coach for that game. Yep. I mean, they've created this bizarro zombie version of the Harden Rockets that, like, awkwardly has, you know, one of the top five players in the game and Embiid kind of just afterthought um playing poorly pouting constantly and it doesn't look like it's working i'm actually i don't know i guess what i expected with harden and being healthy again for the first time in a couple years like he said and 
I don't know what other version of basketball he could play. We talked about this when he went to Brooklyn, but it worked there because Durant is maybe the best player in the world at playing off ball and being mm-hmm. successful, aside from maybe Steph. And with Embiid, with most stars, it doesn't work. And so you just really can't have two high-usage stars on your team if one of them is Harden. And he's turned back into that version, and his numbers look great, but this team is a mess. You know, they will probably win a lot of games by sheer talent, but right now they're all over the map, and I think a lot of that falls on Doc's shoulders. He's gone. I I think they, they're going to do something drastic, and the only drastic move you can make is firing Doc. And that's a... That's a classic move so many teams have made and so many teams have benefited from. The Clippers benefited from it. Um, where was Doc last before that? Uh, before Boston. that, he was in Boston, which they fired him as well. Or maybe they he, fired him, but should... they didn't. You know, they, they righted the ship pretty quickly. Doc, he he loses the team. He loses the locker room after a certain point. We've seen it time and time again. I believe that, and you know, the Harden thing is interesting. Everyone's was looking for the old school Harden and asking for the old school Harden. And that that version is not going to help this team win. They need the version, the healthy version in Philly that was not putting up crazy numbers, but was a playmaker, was a facilitator. The same version we saw in Brooklyn, actually. You mm-hmm. know, when Brooklyn was really humming. Yep. And I think I think there's been this pressure on Harden to be better and be that number one type talent. And so he's going back in the Houston Rockets mode and, and that's just not jiving. So I, I think that they can get it together. He just needs to settle back into that previous role and save these outbursts for nights where they need him, which, you know, in the yeah. past couple of years, he wasn't able to deliver. Yeah. But that's Harden's good. numbers look insane, but it's not helping the team right now. Yeah. And the actually in Houston, the team always won, but that's because they didn't have any player of, Embiid's caliber on those lineups. And so Harden did have to be this for them to win. Now he doesn't, but he can't. He's going back to that mode for some reason. And it's coming at the expense of, I mean, Embiid is clearly not happy. Like the body language is just downright atrocious. Like He's sulking on like every possession. And this is early in the season. So if he's getting this frustrated, it has to do with play style. It has to do with his role. And I think they're going to have to. And Doc Rivers is not known for a guy to change up. You know, he's. He's a good motivator, I guess. I don't know what Doc Rivers' calling card is anymore. He's like but, boys with the players and yeah, has some pedigree because he can throw the ring down there on the table. But like anyone but, who's watched the Clippers teams, you know, under Chris Paul, then uh, the uh, he was the coach in the bubble, right? Didn't he coach the first year of the Kawhi Paul George team? Yeah, and yeah, they failed. That team. teams have never. He's never been one to make adjustments. His teams have never been mentally strong. You know, those yeah. Clippers teams that lost with with Chris Paul, so. That's a good one. Uh, I I could definitely see it happening. My overreaction. Are we sure Miami will make the playoffs? I was... So I went Miami under. Was shocked that nobody seemed to address the fact that they literally added nobody and lost P.J. Tucker. And it was all going to be good with another year of Kyle Lowry, who now looks like he's a bowling ball that can just be rolled down the alley. (laughs) He's cooked. He's cooked. Jimmy Butler. And what? Tyler Hero starting was going to solve everything? I am wholesale agreement with you that Miami is in trouble beyond what people think just because they're given so much um, 
allowance, which for good reason, but you know, the infrastructure there and I get it, but they're in trouble. Kyle Lowry shooting 28% from the field. <laughs> and wasn't he you know, supposed to get in shape and he's, and he's playing 35 minutes a game. So it's not like he's a, you know, just playing 20 minutes or something. He's playing 35 minutes a game, 25% from the field, four and a half assists. Fine. You could say he's making some plays out there, but he is. And this is a team that I just, I think hero got paid. I don't know. I mean, does he strike me as a guy who can carry this team night in, night out? No. How hungry will he be? This is a team that always has injury issues. This is a team where Butler's another year older. I just, I'm not saying they're going to miss the playoffs, but given how competitive the East has already been and the rosters out there, they could be a ninth or tenth seed and possibly lose in the play-in, and it wouldn't be that crazy. Dude, when are we going to start measuring Bam like the player we talk about him as? Right? Like, if Rudy Gobert, who everyone agrees is worse than Bam and should be stuffed in a locker, were putting up the numbers Bam was putting up, you'd get crucified. Under 14 points a game, 9.9 PER, not shooting the ball well, 46% for the field, like, whatever. Eight and a half rebounds. Like, this guy is a max player who is thought of as this top 20 guy in the league, and I see it on some nights and I don't see it on other nights. And we saw this in the playoffs too, right? He would disappear versus Boston, then look phenomenal the next game. And it's like, this isn't a young prospect anymore who we all have high hopes for. Like we can have a separate conversation about Evan Mobley and what we thought his ceiling was versus what he's showing offensively, but he's still in year two. He's 20 years old. Like I'm willing to give that one some time. Bam is 25. Like he was in the 2000 and, uh, 17 draft, I want to say. Yeah, Yeah. with with Fox and Monk, right? Like, it's time to put up or shut up with him. And I just don't feel like I get it from him in any level of consistency. And Jimmy is the only guy that night to night I can count on. And he's 33 and kind of, you know, not necessarily a regular season player. Yeah, Bam, I think we saw this coming last. Last year was the first year where we fully realized that he just may not have it. And the playoffs confirm that. And he's, yeah, horrific start this year. I I don't know what they have in him, honestly. And and this team, when Jimmy Butler, you know, he is old or on the older side of things. Right. There's going to be a time where he can't carry them. And what will this team do? They can't rely on Bam. They've got a lot of money tied in Hero and Duncan Robinson. The Miami is always very creative. They always hand out these expensive contracts and still somehow find a way to be competitive. But... I don't know. This team seems like it's a little running on fumes a bit, and it's had the same core together for a couple years now, and I think it's possible they all, the wheels fall off this season. Well, they're rumored to be interested in literally every player in the NBA at all times. Um, the Photoshop mafia within the Heat fan base is incredibly fast and efficient. <laughs> they can get your boy looking really nice in the Miami Vice jersey within minutes. I saw a report that was uh, Heat interested in Duncan Robinson in a first for Kyle Kuzma, so we got that coming up. Um, wow! I'm sure if the uh, if the Wizards tail off at all and start to look at you know whether they want to extend Kuzma or not, he is a trade chip. I don't know that I want a totally unplayable Duncan Robinson on uh, backwards, but 
yeah, I don't know. I mean, they'll always find themselves uh, or figure themselves out, but they also had a little bit of a rut before they got Jimmy Butler too, where they were kind of aimless. Um, I don't know if they're headed there or not or, or not, but I think it's certainly worth watching. The Wizards missing uh, Bertans that much that they want to go after Duncan Robinson? They're like, we didn't have enough white dudes on bad contracts. Uh, we need one more if we could bring them <laughs> in, possibly. Um, um, I, I do want to touch on the Kings real quick, right? Because yep. this is a very popular hammer the over 33 and a half. This team looks a lot better on paper, better coaching, better talent, and they're 0-3. I know we briefly touched on it, but how much do you think that start matters. Do you think they're in danger of falling short of the plane again, or is it all just early season struggles? So I think what makes this a little bit more worrisome than just early season struggles is they still can't really defend, right? They're 22nd in defense. And again, it's three games, like that's fine, but they have a pretty bad track record uh, with this unit. And Mike Brown was supposed to fix a lot of that. He was kind of a defensive guy, blah, blah, blah. It, it can take time. Like, I think Fox is putting up some crazy counting stats. But I'm not sure if it's, like, necessarily winning basketball at this point. And I love Keegan Murray. I think he's been as good as advertised. So there's hope. But it's also, like, can we get stops? And I don't know who on this team, especially when you anchor your defense with Sabonis, can get stops. So your point guard and your center are pretty bad defensively and even with as many wing defenders as you want in the middle between Murray and Barnes and Mitchell or whatever I don't feel like it's enough to to stop teams and and then get them back on the other end I think this is concerning now should they win 35 games yeah I would expect them to but you know the the, the 40 win or 500 record talk like they got some work to do to win that trust back yeah, they, they do. I will say this. De'Aaron Fox is playing a winning brand of basketball. He is flying defensively. He is active, engaged, staying in front of his man. He's not the problem like he was the last couple of years. To your point, it's the interior defense. Um, Sabonis. I'm worried about Sabonis. And, uh, you know, the trade, everyone clowned the Kings on the trade because everyone liked Halliburton better to begin with. Mm-hmm. Sabonis has not looked right. He looks a little capped offensively even. We always know his defense limitations, but he's not providing the, the value offensively we wanted him to, to bring. And I don't know, the rest of the roster, it just seems kind of meh. So I'm not sounding the alarms yet. We played three tough games, and there's a lot of positives to take away from those games. Right. But it's... um, and The West and by is so the way, good, man. The West is so good. A lot of it is, well, so a lot of it is crunch time, right? Like you, you take a game like the Portland game, like Dame knows how to win those games, even if he's not shooting the ball well. Fox doesn't know yet how to close teams. Like he plays really well for the first three quarters or first three and a half quarters and then kind of makes mistakes, turns the ball down the stretch. Horrific and crunch time. Similar to Bam. I mean, Bam is probably you know, more accomplished in that he has an all-star, he has a finals appearance, et cetera, but you like to see a little bit more maturity and a little bit more consistency at this stage of their careers when they're in year six. Um, and with Fox, it's like, dude, you're putting up 32, seven and five. That, that is amazing. That's nothing to sneeze at shooting the ball. Well, like you said, pushing the pace, but you cannot as the point guard, the guy who has his ball, the ball in his hands all the time, cannot make these just boneheaded 
team crushing mistakes in the game. Um, it's encouraging that he's gotten 40 plus minutes of good basketball and he's now got to clean up the last five. But, um, you know, you look at their team and anyone who's played meaningful minutes, so not counting like Trey Lyles, has a defensive rating that's north of 112. No. So it's all of the lineups. It's not one particular lineup that's popped or not popped. All of the lineups have struggled on that end. And one of the biggest contributors, Harrison Barnes, is cooked. He doesn't have is, lateral yeah. foot speed. He does not look good. And he was he's not an amazing defender, but he's steady and kind of was somewhat dependable. Uh, yeah. Even against bigs, smaller bigs, that's gone. But anyways, yeah, yeah, the Kings are interesting just because they're zero and three. And I know this is this was my I told Kush to put three paychecks down on the over for this bet. So <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll no, I mean it's it's look ten and three Wizards won like thirty games last year, so a lot left to be determined. Um, I I'm enjoying La- it. It's a bizarre season. Last question for you. Yeah, San Antonio, Utah, a little bit of smoke and mirrors. We know that. But Utah, the interesting thing about Utah is they have Lordy Markinen. They have Con Sexton. Like, I think San Antonio is a little bit different because they've got a lot of just Jags, just another guy, right? And yeah. they're winning. But Utah has some intriguing young-ish pieces. Do you think that any of those players are actually going to be core to what Utah is doing or – they're still going to end up being terrible and it's a fire sale and this is just a mismatch of veterans. I think that there's a real chance that they are too good or have too many good players to do what they want to do. You mentioned two of them. You also have Jordan Clarkson. You have, you know, guys like Malik Beasley, Mike Conley, who, you know, are not necessarily like, you know, if I go to their team, even like Kelly and Linick, right? Like, there's guys on this team that are playing decently and they're not bad players. And they got a bunch of stuff back for Rudy. They got a bunch of stuff back for Mitchell and for Royce O'Neal. And so they have picks, they have players. They need to convert to more picks. It's surprising to me, obviously, that they're 3-0, and including a couple impressive wins versus you know Minnesota and others. But it doesn't feel as fluky as maybe we thought because – but then again – Lori Markinen, their leading scorer, was left for dead, right, by a lot of people. And so everyone thought he was just some, like, overhyped scrub that wasn't going to ever make it, you know, be a big deal. And suddenly he's averaging 22 a game. So in terms of who's going to be part of their core in five years, I think you could argue just Sexton of that group will be because they signed him to the extension and everyone else will be off that team within the next year. Yeah, I mean, they, they got guys like Conley and Clarkson who I don't think are going to be part of their long-term future. I just think it's interesting that, you know, they're not winning with – they're winning with guys like Sexton, Markkinen. You can argue maybe they deserve a second chance. This is something you can build around. But for the most part <coughs> – well, well, if you think about, like, why they're such a popular team now for, um, for a Westbrook trade – you know Danny would do it for the two picks, right? He'd give up whatever oh, he yeah. for that. Oh, yeah. He's he's happy with showcasing these guys, and he can get better return from them. And they also but, have a good amount of talent that's on these very tradable contracts, and Westbrook makes so much money. Like, if I wanted to get to $48 million, I could do Marketing, I could do Beasley, I could do Clarkson, and I could do a Linux for Westbrook, some filler, and those two firsts. 
That's not, that's not that bad one. if you're L.A. Now, I don't know if that's too much for the Jazz to give up. They're going to be like, why am I giving you four good players for two picks and paying $48 million for Russell Westbrook? They may say that. I don't know. Probably. But, you know, they also traded Bogdanovich and Patrick Beverly for no picks. And so in that regard, maybe they are open to that. They already made the Beverly trade with the Lakers, so that line of communication is open. So we'll see. But, like, if you could add three guys from the Jazz to your rotation – if you're the Lakers, maybe that's something you start to really look hard at when you're like two and eleven. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's interesting. Yeah, man. I mean, there's a lot of. Uh, I mean, we're only three games in. I think if we go yeah. to our pod from like three games last year, we probably said some crazy stuff too. Um, um, last last question. Do you think, um, like Boston? Did you have you have you um I guess I've been really impressed with Tatum. I know they lost big last night to Chicago, but did you expect any drop off with the coaching change and sort of how have they played or how have they looked um compared to maybe what you thought? I did. I mean, my opinion on Boston was always that they were a tale of two halves last year. Mm-hmm. And I know the first half wasn't them. They got they figured things out, new coach. They settled in, but I also don't think that that the team was as constructed as the same team we saw in the second half of the season. I thought it's somewhere in between, and so I thought there'd be a little bit of regression. Um, but what has impressed me the most is Tatum. Now I think for me, you know, you say Morant, I think he might be my MVP MVP pick if I have to make it right now, mm-hmm. um, just because he's seemingly taken his game to another level, um, and. They're continue, continuing to use the same playbook for the most part and winning in the same way. And the coaching change has not mattered yet. It might mm-hmm. matter in the postseason, but I think in the regular season, that would be just fine. So I had concerns, but I, at least the first four games, I think they'll be okay. Yeah, I'm fascinated by it because I'm always trying to just dissect what a coach can and can't do. Obviously, the ones like Pop or Bill Jackson or whatever have had so much success and all this, but you know, Eric Spolstra, but it's hard to disaggregate that and what Udoka did for the team last year clearly could be seen and could be felt but him leaving a totally unproven coach who was way above his skis right like is not expected to be in this role for multiple more years suddenly is thrust into the position of being the coach of the title favorites and you look at it and it's like okay if this doesn't matter then what does coaching matter right but I guess you could argue the infrastructure has already been laid and therefore it's not really the same type of coaching job necessary like uh, Will Hardy in Utah who's building it from the ground up. That's what I was going to say. I was going to zag a little bit. I was going to say this might even showcase the value of Udoka more because he built something sustainable. Clearly what he instilled, maybe he has some X's and O's, things like that, but he was not known for being a tactician. He got these guys to buy in on defense to play a brand of basketball that clearly has carried on to this season, even without him being there. So yeah. I thought maybe the rotations would be, they'd struggle, you know, the schemes. It, so far, it looks like that stuff has not mattered because they've got the foundation. And so credit to Udoka for building it in a way that's sustainable, even with a brand new head coach. Yeah, yeah, it's it's certainly interesting. And, you know, Milwaukee's back, Phoenix is back. All the usual suspects are hanging around, so we'll see kind of who takes charge over the next couple months. Phoenix is is one that I know we didn't get to today, but that's also a team that a lot of people had dead in the water, and it's like 
including they won me. 60, I mean, I, I went under on them too. They won 64 games last year. Booker looks awesome, dude. And Booker yeah. looks incredible. Like he, like you think about first team All NBA last year, and it was four kind of up and comer young guys, and then Jokic. It was Ja. It was Booker. It was Tatum. It was Luca. It really felt like the next coming, and all of those dudes have like continued to get better, up their game, and look even better this season. It's amazing to watch. It really is. I mean, through the league, it's just the talent, the next level of superstars. We're gonna lose soon. Westbrook. We're gonna lose LeBron. Harden is you know a couple more years. Durant. Yeah. This is the new guard, and it's looking looking pretty good. So, I really hope Victor is as sick as they say. Um, the hype is too much. He's not. He's not. I, it he's would be such good. a disappointment if he's like not that good. I I, I like, really yeah. still think that Kristaps is the best comp. Kristaps like, pre ACL. I mean, man, I don't know that's what, what I'm he could have I know, done, but, but what I mean by Kristaps is like the injuries will rob you of some of that potential. Yeah, and he'll be a better version, but it's he's never going to be what we envisioned. Well, what I'm envisioning is like 30, 15 rebounds, 11 blocks, 44% from three, minuscule defensive rating. Add him to the Kings, and he's still got a 112 hey, and above defensive rating. Maybe. If we get him on the Kings, man, all of a sudden, ooh. Watch Tyrese out. Halliburton? You think I'll be talking about Tyrese Halliburton anymore? <laughs> yeah, but then once you trade him to like, uh, I don't know, Charlotte for Gordon Hayward for a win now player, then you're going to be telling me how good Gordon Hayward's new haircut is. <laughs> That's true. But all right, man. That's a wrap for us this week. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops. Please follow us on all social media. Um, let us know what you think about this season. Do we still have that inbox open? Just text us at this point. I think you all, <laughs> anybody who's listening at, at this stage of the podcast, has our direct line. So. Let us know what's going on with you and in, in, in the world of NBA. And we're just getting started, but I feel like this is going to be wide open as advertised.